Hello and welcome to the C3 Sunderland podcast. We are so glad that you're here. We're believing that you'll be filled with faith and encouraged by hope as you tune into this message today. Who's been enjoying our series, People of God? Who's been enjoying traveling through the book of Peter? I know it's meant that some weeks have been really long messages, but as Ian prophesied last week, I'm going to try and keep it concise and ready for what God wants to do. And as we've been on this journey through the book of Peter, I'm so sorry about all the mic pops today, guys. Actually, maybe can we just mute mic one, Zara? I think that's the culprit. Perfect. Let's give it up for Zara. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we've been going through our series, People of God, as we've been on this journey through the book of 1 Peter, we have been looking at three things. Number one, who we are. Number two, why we're here, and number three, how we live. And the section of scripture that we're going to look at today very much zooms in on the last of these three things, how we live. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd really encourage you, why not turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you are digital, feel free to pull it out on your phone. I will assume that you're looking at the Bible and not Instagram. And if you would like to, it's also going to come up on the screen behind me here. But these are Peter's words to the early church. Remember, they're scattered throughout the regions of Asia Minor. They're under persecution. They are suffering for their faith. And this is what Peter says. The end of the world is coming soon. Who came to church this morning for some apocalyptic um, preaching? Are we ready? Therefore, he says, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you, everyone say, that's me. That's me. Each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. If you knew that the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do with today? If you knew this was your last 24 hours on planet Earth, what would you plan to spend your time doing? Perhaps you'd go and see family. Perhaps you'd jump on that plane and visit the place you've always wanted to go. Perhaps you would spend time eating your favorite food. I had some really good cheese last night, guys. That was amazing. (laughs) Perhaps you would tell someone how you really feel. Valentine's Day this week, guys. No hints there. Perhaps you would share the gospel without hesitation. Maybe you would panic. I don't know. And while this question I'm asking you today is definitely not prophetic, don't worry, guys. I've filled my diary up till at least August. We're counting on at least a few more months yet before Jesus comes back. It is helpful to us in figuring out where our true priorities lie. When we think of 
the end and have it in mind, it brings what's truly important into focus. Right at the start of our scripture today, Peter is doing the same thing by encouraging his readers to live with the end of this life and the hope of eternity in mind. In the light of eternity being at hand, Peter's instructions to the early church, however, are perhaps not what we might expect. We might think that Peter would encourage the early church, go and sell everything you have. Go and stand and shout the gospel on the street corners. Forget about all your other worldly responsibilities because the end is coming soon. Does anyone else think that might be where Peter go is going? But in fact, he instructs two simple things. Number one, pray earnestly and regularly. And number two, love each other well. Sarah, could you mute the delay effect on the desk? I think there's a bit of an echo on here. And it's like making me sound... Well, just when I shout, I won't shout. <laughs> but in Peter's letter here, living with the end in view isn't a call to radical Christianity, but a rich, wonderful, and very normal Christianity with a call to live our lives together as a church in a way that displays the character of God to the world around us. Yes, through prayer and discipline, but as Peter says in verse 8, most of all through showing deep love to one another. In fact, in the light of eternity, the highest call we have as the people of God is to have a fervent love for our brothers and sisters with whom we will spend all of eternity. Look around the room right now. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your future looks like living in the light of God's glory and grace alongside everyone else who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. We are the people of God who will live with him alongside each other for all of eternity. Some of you are looking around the room right now thinking, oh no. <laughs> but that is why it's really important that this side of eternity, we learn to love each other well and we model that kind of love to the rest of the world who do not yet know Jesus. What did Jesus let his disciples know? It is by your love for one another that people will see who Jesus is. So the title of my message today is What Love Looks Like. And I have three really simple points that I want to take us through today from this passage to help us understand what this kind of deep, real, fervent love that we are called to have for each other might look like and then at the end we're going to open up the altar for some prayer and some ministry and I really believe that God wants to do something powerful in our hearts today as we do so are we ready note takers you're going to be so excited today because my points are really simple my first point today is this love covers let's read verse 8 of first Peter 4 again together he says most important of all Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. 
Okay, so this is a bit of a funny phrase. And one that perhaps makes our internal justice league say, what, sorry? It's a wrestle that we have as Christians where we know we've both received forgiveness and are called and even commanded to extend forgiveness to others. But that can be really tricky to navigate. Now, I'm going to come back to forgiveness for quite big things in just a moment. But for now, let's zoom in on what Peter's talking about here. This phrase he has, love covers a multitude of sins, reminds me of a really similar one in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. This is the phrase here. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm like, oh. So I'm just meant to let people get away with stuff. When Ian leaves toast crumbs on the side in the kitchen, that is something I am meant to overlook. When Ezra does not put his clothes in the wash basket, that is something I am meant to make an allowance for. I don't know about you, but when I think about how this practically works in day-to-day life, this is a really difficult command to live by. So let's, rest, let's see if we can wrestle this out together. In both the scriptures we've looked at just there, 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 4, verse 1 and 2, we see loud and clear this simple truth. Love covers. Love is not meant to expose or poke fun at. Sorry, Lord. Love does not point out people's faults. Love is not quick to judge. Love is not quick to expose other people's mistakes. But rather, love covers, love protects. And love brings out the best of those that God has placed around us. In the most basic terms, Peter is reminding us that within Christian community, our love for each other should mean that we don't go around looking for faults in others, zooming in on and becoming irritated or upset by those things, but rather we should go around seeking to think the best of others. We don't spend time thinking over past faults and flaws, but we choose to look for and honor the image of God in other people. And that's really powerful because rather than division and discord, this kind of love that covers brings unity, it brings fellowship, and therefore, as we learn in the Psalms, it brings the blessing of God. I read this quote as I was preparing this message today from Wayne Grudem. He says this, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offences, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts Uh, And every word is like, I'm looking for a conflict to Satan's perverse delight. When we are not living under and out of love, it looks like, oh, 
what did that text really mean? When we're not living out of love, we're like, oh, what did that funny look that someone gave me as I was coming into church? What was that all about? When we're not living in love, we are prone to our own insecurities outworking themselves in a reflection of other people's behavior. The truth is we are called to live in the kind of love where many small and even large offenses are readily overlooked and forgotten because it reflects who Jesus is and it brings him glory. We are meant to be a reminder to each other of the love that we are living under and receiving ourselves. Now, overlooking each other's flaws is something that sounds really easy on paper, but in reality, is really hard. I feel like I've already used Ian as as an example today. But in August, we'll have been married for 12 years. I know, I'm not old enough at all. (laughs) But this is still something we're working on, to not be prone to pointing out each other's flaws. Okay, I'll say it. Something I'm still working on. (laughs) But the truth is, the longer that you've known someone, that actually, the harder it can be to overlook the flaws because you know them so well. (laughs) And often over time, those flaws can almost turn into a narrative where we have an expectation of, yes, Ian is going to leave those toast crumbs out on the side. I'm ready for it. (laughs) But those things can get under our skin even more than they really should. We can tell ourselves stories of what other people are like. We can tell ourselves stories of the intention of other people's actions. But what I believe today is that God wants to come in and break some narratives. God wants to help us today see people with fresh eyes. God wants to help us today see each other the way God sees each other. Jesus, our saviour and our role model, has some really practical teaching on forgiveness on how to go about dealing with those offences. And it feels wrong in a message like this to not go there. And in Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17, Jesus says these words, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offence. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful... Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or as a corrupt tax collector. Okay. So that's a whole other message right there that we're not going to get fully into today. But what I love in, that's so clear in Jesus' teaching here, the motivation behind this is that love covers. You see, as human beings, when, something does, when someone does something wrong by us, our temptation is to shout it from the rooftops, what that person has done. Let me tell you about Ian on his toast crumbs. Let me share the wrong that has taken place here. When actually what Jesus is encouraging us and instructing us to do is to go straight to that person, covering, extending love to one another and talking about them directly. 
the best, best way to live out this command is to go straight to that person. The, motiva- the motivation behind it is this, love covers. Within the Christian community, amongst believers, love always seeks to cover and come back to a place of love and reconciliation. This is the point I really want to make today. It's really important that we grasp that this is a two-way street. Every single time you find yourself needing to extend that kind of covering love to a brother or sister in Christ, it is extremely likely that someone else is needing to extend that kind of covering love to you. You see, it's very easy for us to point out the speck in our neighbor's eye whilst completely missing the log in our own. Sometimes in our humanity, we can find ourselves on a mission to call out other people's flaws without being honest or even aware of our own. We need to live with an awareness that the same love that we are called to cover others with is the same love with which we are also being covered by others in our community. The world around us is so quick to point out flaws, to the point where these days many people are scared to even express an opinion. But in the Christian community, we are called to create a place of safety and unity as we cover and are covered by love. How do we do that? By letting love lead both our actions and letting love lead our response. Letting love lead what we do and letting love lead how we respond to the people around us in our lives. Let's see the image of God in each other first and foremost. Let's always be on a mission to look for the best in each other. Okay, you're with me so far? Before, we, before I move on to my second point, I feel like this is a really important thing to say about forgiveness. I don't know if you've ever thought this as a Christian. You're like, right, I know I've received forgiveness. I know Jesus calls me to extend forgiveness. It's even in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others. But there's something in us as human beings that can find it really hard to think about letting that thing go when we've been really hurt, when something that has been really painful to the point where it cannot be overlooked or covered by forbearing love to one another. Sometimes really bad things happen and people have felt a pressure by the church to forgive. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to hold your fist in front of you right now. Sometimes when we've been hurt, sometimes when something wrong has been done to us, we find ourselves holding this person in our hands and we read the Bible and think, oh, I've just got to let it go. I've just got to figure out how to carry this pain that they've caused me whilst letting them go at the same time. And we can sometimes fall into this trap of thinking releasing someone who's hurt us would be to say that what you've done doesn't hurt me. 
Like the minute I forgive, I'm going to get over it. The minute I forgive, I'm going to feel better about it. And sometimes we can be caught between this tension of I know that Jesus calls me to forgive, but this thing really hurt me and it really matters to the point where I don't know how to let it go. We can fall into the trap of thinking that by forgiving someone and releasing them, we have to easily and glibly let what they did go, as if forgiveness is cheap, as if it's just like shrug your shoulders, brush it off and get on with our lives. But Christian forgiveness does not say any of those things. Christian forgiveness is not cheap. Christian forgiveness does not say that the abuse that took place doesn't matter or it didn't hurt or it wasn't wrong. Christian forgiveness says that what happened to you matters so much that to forgive it would require something huge to put it right. The death of Jesus. Any damage done to one of God's image bearers is such a big deal, is so wrong, is so hurtful, that it matters so much. Jesus' death on the cross tells us that the scale of wrongdoing is so huge that to forgive it would require something even greater. As Christians, when we exercise the power of forgiveness, what we are saying is we're not just letting that thing go, we're not just letting it fall to the ground, we're saying, In my own strength, I can't actually release you from this thing because it has hurt me so much. Everyone put your fist in front of you. But what I can do is hand it over to the justice of God. In forgiveness, when we open our hand, we're not letting that thing fall to the ground. We are offering that thing up to God who sent his son Jesus on the cross to die for the pain that you've experienced and to judge the actions of those who've carried it out. In handing it over to the justice of God, what that means is the person who caused you harm will either receive forgiveness because of Jesus on the cross or they will face judgment of Jesus on the last day. Okay. Either way, It's not letting that person get away with what they've done. Receiving forgiveness through the cross requires repentance. What's repentance? It is owning up to what we've done and seeking to turn around. Either way, when we hand that person, that thing over to God, what takes place is that we become released from, bringing, from being the vengeance bringer, from holding on to that thing, from letting it eat us up on the inside. And we hand it over to God. And that is so freeing. The reason I've spent some time on that today is that I feel like perhaps there's some people here who have had some really bad things happen to them. You've had some stuff that has been completely unjust. There's been some things that have caused you pain to the point where you cannot live a day of your life without thinking about it. You cannot make a decision without your actions being affected by it. You cannot begin a new friendship without the 
expectation at the back of your mind that the same thing is going to happen again. And what I feel like God wants to teach us today is that covering in love doesn't just look like casting things to the side and hoping for the best and sort of wrestling with pain for the rest of our lives. Covering in love looks like, God, I cannot do this in my own strength. I cannot live this out as a human being, but I trust you with the outcome. I trust you with the judgment. I trust you that you will make all things right. You will make all things whole. You will make all things complete. You are on my side, God. You want to let me know how much I am loved and how much I am precious. And at the end, when we pray in a few moments time, I feel like God wants to set some people free from the burden of unforgiveness that you've maybe been carrying. Okay. Point number two today is this. Love makes room. 1 Peter 4 verse 9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Sounds like such a simple instruction, doesn't it? But in a world of radical individualism, we are called to be a people who demonstrate radical hospitality. And I love talking about this because for me, hospitality is part of the core of who we are as a church. We put so much value in making room for people in our lives, in our church, in our homes. It's why you'll never hear us talking about groups, even in family time when it's not a groups week. We're still going to let you know that groups are a fortnight away. But our prayer is that we would be a church that doesn't just wait for groups for hospitality to take place, but it is something that all of us as individuals have as a regular part of our lives. I was preparing this message at our dining table this week, and I couldn't help but think about the hundreds of meals it's seen and hosted in its short seven years of life the conversations it's helped host, the safety and comfort it's helped create. If you've ever been a part of our group, you'll know that if you go on the IKEA website, our table will say it sits eight people. <laughs> but you will know that it can sit far more people than eight people. Because our attitude and our heart is, there's always room for one more. Hospitality isn't about having an Instagram perfect table, although I love my candles, guys. <laughs> but it is about making space for people to feel welcome, to feel safe, and to feel refreshed. Hospitality is such a simple thing, but it is so powerful because it means so much more than what it looks like on the surface. The world says, stay out of my palace. Stay out of my space, stay out of my home. This is my realm. I might give you a little glimpse of it from time to time when a corner of it is looking particularly Instagrammable. But apart from that, I'm not really gonna make room for you. I'm not really gonna have space. Whereas Christianity says, come on in, there is a place for you. That is what we have experienced in the kingdom of God. Jesus has said to each of one of us, come on in, there is room for you. And that is what we are called to extend. 
I've been thinking so much about the word that CJ brought a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about us having wells of comfort to offer to one another. That no matter what we face as we follow Jesus, as we are comforted by God, as we experience his love in our lives, it creates our ability to make wells of comfort for other people to come and experience. If we are to be that to others, we need to be intentional about making room for other people to come into our lives. It's all very well having a well of comfort ready to offer people, but we need to practically make room to invite people to come and drink, to come and be refreshed, to come and be restored. What Peter is instructing here is to make room for what God is doing in your life to overflow to your brothers and sisters in Christ around the table. We all have specific seasons where we need to receive the comfort of others, but at all times, we are called to be people who live out that love that makes room. I feel like especially in today's world and culture, we need to consciously see our homes as gifts to be opened and shared rather than castles to be retreated into and drawbridges pulled up. And depending on what you're like, we need to ask God to help, it, to help us do it cheerfully. Peter doesn't say grudgingly, when you can, when you've got a minute, open your home. He says cheerfully. This is a tension in our house. Many of you on Wednesday at Going Deeper were surprised to learn that Ian's an introvert and would actually just prefer to retreat into his little castle and not let anyone else in. Maybe you've even been at a group where at times Ian's gone to bed while we're all still talking. (laughs) Whereas I'm like, oh, I love being around people. You can all come around for lunch. I'm sure it'll stretch. And we've had to navigate that practically. What does this look like? But we've made a commitment that wherever we can, wherever we have the opportunity, um, we're going to make room for people around our table. To the point where, if I'm honest, most nights I'm cooking more food than just what we need, just in case. Just in case someone needs to come. Just in case there's a conversation to be had. Just in case someone needs to come and experience and drink from the well. And we need to ask God's help to do it cheerfully because living this out is not always convenient. It is often costly and it often goes against the grain of our personal preferences. But I wonder what would happen if we asked ourselves, how can I make room here? Not just in our physical homes, but in our time, in our resources, Uh, groups of people that we like to chat to on a Sunday. How can we make room for new people to come and join in with that? I wonder what would happen if you made the decision in love to make room for others in your home and in your life. From experience, I can promise you will discover a richness of relationship in a brand new way. You will find the opportunity to minister to others and the opportunity to receive ministry from others. The amount of times where I have set a dinner date with the purpose of looking out for someone else and I myself have been encouraged and equipped 
and lifted up by what they have shared. This is the picture of the kind of love that we are called to demonstrate to one another. And the promise of God is this, that as you make room for others, you can trust that God will always make room for you. One of my favorite parables that Jesus tells is found in Luke 14, verse 7 to 11. It says this, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seat of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you were invited to a wedding feast or dinner on a Monday night, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, this is what making room looks like. Take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As you make room for others, the promise from God is that he (coughs) will make room for you. As we come to a close this morning, the third thing I want to share is this. Love serves. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 to 11 says, God has given you each a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever. Amen. I'm conscious of time, but the really wonderful thing is, for this point, we're going to give the whole of March over to a series where we're going to be talking about being activated in the gifts that God has given us. So all I want you to take away from this passage in Peter today, number one, you have a gift. Whether you're aware of it or whether you're not, whether you really know what it is or whether you've got no idea and you're still figuring out, you have a gift a gift that is there for serving the body of Christ. Peter's instruction, use it well. Don't just let it sit on a shelf. Don't just bring it out on a Sunday when it's going to look good at church. Don't just think about it from time to time whenever someone mentions spiritual gifts in church. You are called to know what your gift is. We're going to do it in March. You are called to know how to use it. We're going to look at that in March. And you were called to steward that thing well to bring out the best of it. You have a gift. Use it well. Be regularly equipped and filled by the Holy Spirit in that gift. Again, March is going to be a good one. And finally, let it be motivated by love. Your gift is not there to make you look good. Your gift is not there to give you a nice fuzzy feeling so you can go home from church thinking, oh, I've been so good today. Your gift is to be motivated by care for and sincere love for the body of Christ. Love covers. 
I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> love covers, love makes room. Thank you. I need to use my gift well. And love serves. I want to ask the band to come and join me. We're going to go into a time of worship and prayer this morning. And as we do, I want us to think about how we relate to the word love in our lives. Love, the one thing that will remain, is not only the most amazing thing that we'll experience, but it is also the thing that will bring our discipleship with Jesus into sharp focus. Before we pray today, I want us to think about this one question. I want you to take this away. Am I loving well? I wonder if we brought that question front and center in our day-to-day lives, where would it lead our conversations, our actions, and our thoughts? I know that as I reflect on that personally, I can already think about conversations I've had this weekend with my family where I perhaps have not loved well. I can think about decisions that I've made that have been motivated not to serve others but myself. I can think about my thought life and how often love is leading that and think, Jesus, would you help me love well? What does your love look like today? Where, perhaps, do you need to cover and receive a covering? Where do you need to make room? Where do you need to serve? Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you'd like to know more, visit our website at c3sunderland.church or follow us on Instagram at c3sunderland. We'll see you next time.